The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. Buzz Burbank, news and comment. Get ready, Russia. Get ready, Mueller. It's Thursday, April 12th, 2018. Thank you very much for your time and for supporting this independent news through the links for my sponsors, including Tweaked Audio and the PayPal donate button at buzzburbank.com. Donald Trump is now facing two ugly confrontations, one with Russia and Iran in Syria and one with the U.S. law enforcement community that's knocking at his door. It's difficult more than usual to know where to begin. It seems important to understand the context in which we find this nation nose-to-nose with another nuclear power. As you are about to hear, it is no small thing that federal law enforcement agents conducted a surprise raid on the homes and offices of the personal lawyer for the President of the United States. Nothing like this has ever happened before. And it either means the feds aren't satisfied that lawyer Michael Cohen's turned over all the documents they requested, or that they saw a risk the documents they want might be destroyed. FBI agents busting in with a no-knock search warrant on the office, home, and hotel room of Trump attorney Michael Cohen is a big deal. They seized Cohen's computer, his phone, his financial records, and his emails. Cohen's being investigated for possible fraud and possible campaign violations, which is why the FBI also seized all materials related to Stormy Daniels. And those related to a national inquirer payment to silence a former Playboy model who claims she had a serious affair with Trump right after the birth of his son, Barron. FBI agents were also looking for documents related to the infamous Access Hollywood tape in which Trump makes vulgar comments describing his treatment of women. They were looking for evidence that Michael Cohen worked to suppress that tape. The raid was not conducted on behalf of the Mueller investigation of Trump-Russia. It was conducted on behalf of the U.S. Attorney's Office in New York City. Because although Trump lawyer Michael Cohen is already being investigated by Mueller in the Russia probe, Mueller's people have come across evidence that Cohen may have committed crimes not connected to any of that. The alleged campaign finance violations stem from the $130,000 payment Cohen says he made on behalf of his client just before the election to keep Stormy Daniels from telling her story. That's a supporter's cash value effort to help his candidate get elected by keeping quiet a scandal, and it wasn't reported as a donation, as is required by law. The other day on Air Force One, Trump said he didn't know anything about that payment. The FBI may have had evidence to the contrary, thanks to the Mueller team, which turned over what it had discovered that was outside the scope of its own investigation. Now, Cohen, as if he doesn't have enough trouble already, is also a person of interest in the Mueller investigation. But again, this raid is outside the purview of the Mueller probe, which is still looking into Cohen's efforts during the campaign to get a Trump Tower built in Moscow and his support of a Russian-backed plan for Ukraine. The handoff of this evidence was overseen by the highest levels in the Justice Department, including Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein and others, including one justice official who'd supported Trump during the campaign. Trump was once again mulling, firing Mueller, meaning Rosenstein would have to go first. We now know Trump's considering firing either or both men. CNN reports Trump is currently considering firing Rosenstein to at least limit, if not end, Mueller's role in that investigation. The White House says it and the president believe he has the constitutional right to fire Mueller despite Justice Department rules and legal opinions that he does not. The New York Times is now reporting on a second occasion on which Trump endeavored to fire Mueller directly. We had known about the attempt last June when Trump backed off because White House counsel Don McGahn threatened to resign if Mueller was fired. The Times now reports that Trump again considered firing Mueller this past December after it reported Mueller was probing Trump's business dealings through subpoenas at Deutsche Bank. This week, as talk of firing Mueller ramped up again, Trump told reporters the raid on his lawyer was a disgrace and an attack on America. The next morning, Tuesday, Trump tweeted WITCH HUNT in all caps again and separately declared that attorney-client privilege is dead. It isn't. Attorney-client privilege is deeply revered within the legal system, except when there's evidence that the attorney and or client were engaged in criminal activity. Michael Cohen stands at the center of Trump world, deeply involved for years in Trump's business and personal life. 
Before this morning raid, the FBI had already been gathering Cohen's bank records, which apparently gave agents the basis for their investigation of bank and wire fraud. Cohen had moved the Stormy Daniels money to a shell company before transferring it to Daniels' attorney. The FBI raid on Cohen was more about the possible illegal campaign contribution, not about Russia. To quote a law professor at NYU, a search warrant for a law office is extremely rare. We can safely add it's even more rare when that lawyer represents the President of the United States. Trump is also being investigated by Mueller for the $150,000 his foundation took during the campaign in exchange for an awkward 20-minute video speech for a Ukrainian steel magnet. And Mueller's obstruction of justice investigation also presses forward. Mueller also now has notes from former acting attorney general Dana Bente, who made those notes after hearing from James Comey that Trump had asked that the Russia investigation be ended and that the FBI clear Trump's name. Bente's notes made right after Comey had met with Trump back up Comey's claims almost word for word and dispute the claims of this president. Bente's also been interviewed by the Mueller team. His notes, meanwhile, are more evidence that Donald Trump has been lying about his conversations with Comey and that Comey's been telling the truth just days before Comey's book is released. Donald Trump is furious. Quoting one White House official, you can see how angry he is. When asked if he would fire Bob Mueller, Trump told reporters, we'll see, adding, many people have said you should fire him. Trump also again attacked Attorney General Jeff Sessions for recusing himself from the Russia probe. Trump again attacked the FBI for not investigating Hillary. He attacked Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, the Republican who's overseeing the Mueller investigation and who also signed off on that FBI raid. And Trump described Mueller's investigators as, quote, the most biased group of people. They are mostly Democrats, he said, or Republicans who had worked for Obama. That is false. They are mostly Republicans. On Air Force One the other day, when Trump said he didn't know about that $130,000 payment to Stormy Daniels, he told reporters, you'll have to ask Michael Cohen. Now FBI agents are doing more than just asking. And Donald Trump is furious. And the White House insists the reason Trump has canceled his trip to South America is to focus on a response to Syria's latest chemical attack on civilians. More about that in just a moment. Stormy Daniels lawyer Michael Avenetti is predicting what Trump is perhaps fearing, that under pressure from the feds, to quote Avenetti, he's going to fold like a cheap deck of cards. Avenetti's still asking a court to let him depose Trump, to ask him under oath if he really did or didn't know about Cohen's hush money payment and whether Trump was part of any effort to silence Ms. Daniels. But now, Bannon's back. Fired as White House strategist last summer, Steve Bannon is now advising White House officials again. Now he's telling the White House that Trump should fire Rod Rosenstein, opening the door to firing or restricting Mueller and that the White House should stop cooperating with Mueller's investigators. And Bannon thinks Trump lawyer Ty Cobb should be fired for the cooperation Cobb has already shown to Mueller. But wait, there's more. The Washington Post reports Bannon is recommending that the White House invoke executive privilege, including retroactively. In other words, Bannon wants stricken from Mueller's evidence the documents that have already been turned over and the interviews that have already been given. The Post reports the president is still mad at Steve Bannon for things Bannon said in that recent best-selling book about the inner workings of the Trump White House. But Trump's even madder about the Mueller investigation. If you're on Facebook, your personal data may now be on file in Russia. Cambridge Analytica whistleblower Christopher Wiley says his former employer harvested data from nearly every American on Facebook, 87 million of us, according to Facebook. Maybe more than 87 million, says Wiley, who added, it could be stored in various parts of the world, including Russia, given that the professor managing the data was going back and forth between the UK and Russia. In an effort to be more transparent, Facebook last week deleted hundreds of pages and accounts, and it provided five examples. But two of those five pages were linked to a troll farm in Russia that Facebook would have known about months ago. It was February that the Mueller team indicted 13 Russians connected to that exact Russian troll farm. It was on the news. 
Facebook knew but didn't act until Tuesday of this week. Facebook is now in its own crisis mode, scrambling to make itself comply with the same clean advertising rules that apply to ads on TV and in magazines and newspapers. That's more than the law requires currently, and Facebook is also letting us now discover who's behind the ads that we see. In response to the hot spotlight, Facebook has also provided a tool for users to see the apps that may have harvested their data, including those connected to Cambridge Analytica. And it shoved its CEO, Mark Zuckerberg, before 44 senators in a couple of separate hearings on Capitol Hill, each senator given four minutes of question and answer time. And lawmakers were out to punish Zuckerberg for letting this data raid happen. Facebook has lost respect from within and without. Facebook engineers are jumping ship or trying to. Last week, a product designer quit over ethical concerns. And now, Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak is closing his Facebook account. Quoting Woz, Apple makes its money off products, not you. With Facebook, says Wozniak, you are the product. After six weeks in a hospital... It now appears both victims of the nerve agent attack in Britain will survive. One of the Russians who developed the poison had said he didn't expect either Sergei Skripal or his adult daughter to survive their contact with military-grade Novichok. Novichok is a Russian word for newcomer. Skripal's 33-year-old daughter, meanwhile, is now out of the hospital, saying her own strength is growing daily. But she and her father spent the past few weeks in a London hospital in critical care, with little expectation of survival. They are both out of critical care now. Both have suffered long-term damage from the attack. They both will need continuing care, and both could be valuable in the British investigation of that attempted assassination. Russia denies it was behind the attempted murder of a defected spy, but the free world is convinced it was Russia. That now even includes the United States. On Friday, the Trump administration finally hit back at Russia for the first time, and there was some power in that punch. After expelling five dozen Russian diplomats, the administration heaped tough new sanctions on 17 top Russian government officials and seven of that country's richest men, who will now lose as much as $16 billion. This went straight to the heart of Putin's inner circle, including a son-in-law, this went for Putin's family and the people who pay the way for Putin and his family. These officials and oligarchs are no longer free to travel to the U.S. or free to do any kind of business here. They can no longer do business with Western banks, not even through a third party. If they have assets in the U.S., those are now frozen. Businesses key to the Russian government were sanctioned as well, and there could be more punches at the Putin government, which has kept busy annexing countries, co-opting free elections, and buzzing American aircraft. The sanctions came in the same week Trump said getting along with Russia would be a good thing, not a bad thing. Trump had praised Putin during the campaign. The Trump campaign tweaked the Republican platform to go easy on Russia as campaign officials met with Russians, some of them offering supposed dirt on Hillary Clinton. Trump administration officials had endeavored to lift previous sanctions on Russia and had dragged its feet on imposing even the ones required by Congress. And the Trump State Department still hasn't spent a penny of the $120 million Congress ordered it to spend to fight Russian hacking and propaganda. But just a couple of days after saying that getting along with Russia is a good thing, Trump was suddenly saying, we cannot allow those seeking to sow confusion, discord, and rancor to be successful. These tough, targeted new sanctions came simultaneous to the exit of National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster, who left, saying, for too long, nations have looked the other way, and we have failed to impose sufficient costs. And the new sanctions also appeared as the Mueller investigation continues to investigate possible collusion between Russia and the campaign to elect Donald Trump as president of the United States. You may be seeing FBI Director James Comey on your TV over the next few weeks. His book will officially be released on Tuesday and publishers like their authors to be on TV to boost sales. There'll also be a coast-to-coast -coast book tour with reporters and interviewers following along every step of the way. Not that Comey's book needs much promotion. It's already been number one on the Amazon bestseller list for several weeks based on pre-orders alone. 
After a year of bashing from Trump, it's Comey's turn to speak through his book, A Higher Loyalty. The first bookstore hosting a signing is controlling the crowd by issuing wristbands. People are paying a thousand bucks a head for a Comey appearance in New York later this month for about what you'd pay to see the musical Springsteen on Broadway. After one of Trump's Twitter attacks on Comey, he replied with the tweet, Mr. President, the American people will hear my story very soon and they can judge for themselves who is honorable and who is not. Comey, of course, is also a key witness in the Mueller investigation. Trump has said publicly more than once that he looks forward to sitting down with the special counsel to answer questions about his campaign in Russia. Maybe not so much now. Trump had hoped and believed the interview would bring this entire Russia probe to an end. He's reportedly been rehearsing for it in his own informal way. But White House sources tell CNN that privately Trump is a bit less confident, especially with aides telling him he opens himself up to criminal charges in a possible perjury trap. It's been nearly three months since Trump said of the interview, I'd love to do it, and that it would probably happen in two to three weeks. The fact is, Trump's legal team is still negotiating with the Mueller team over conditions that might be imposed, or at least it was, until the raid on Trump's lawyer's office, and they're still pondering whether the president should be interviewed at all. The negotiations have included whether Trump's answers would be given under oath, while Trump's shortage of qualified attorneys continues. Trump was supposed to have been at a Latin American summit at about this time, but instead... He stayed in Washington. The White House said he was hanging back to deal with a deadly chemical attack in Syria for which Trump had promised to respond quickly and that there would be a big price to pay, whether the attack was inflicted by Syria or Russia or Iran. The killing of dozens and injuring of scores of Syrian civilians came just after Trump had declared U.S. troops would be leaving Syria soon to, quote, let somebody else take care of it. Veteran Republican John McCain was upset, tweeting that Trump's announcement of a pullout had emboldened Syria's dictator, resulting in this chemical attack. It was Republican war sabers rattling just one day after an FBI raid on the office and homes of Trump's personal lawyer. The rattling then got frighteningly louder. Yesterday morning began with tweets from Trump after indications the U.S. would fire missiles into Syria to retaliate for what's reportedly a chlorine gas attack on civilians. Russia responded by saying it would shoot those American missiles out of the sky. Trump tweeted in response that if that's the case, Russia should, quote, get ready. Get ready, Russia, because they will be coming nice and new and smart. This from a former candidate who'd said a president should never signal his military intentions. Russia and Syria immediately began moving troops and equipment to prepare for the attack about which the president had tipped his hand. Trump also tweeted some stern advice for Russia. You shouldn't be partners with a gas-killing animal who kills his people and enjoys it. Neighboring Turkey, which is both close to Russia and a U.S. NATO ally, is calling for restraint on both sides at the risk of, in its words, setting fire to the region. It's also worth noting that as a candidate, Trump said, and I quote, what we should do is focus on ISIS. We should not be focusing on Syria. And he added, you're going to end up in World War III over in Syria if we listen to Hillary Clinton. By this morning, Trump was backpedaling, tweeting that the U.S. attack on Syria could come, quote, very soon or not so soon at all. Over the past week, Trump has doubled down in his trade war against China, calling for an additional $100 billion of tariffs on Chinese imports to the U.S. He said China's retaliation against the Trump tariffs that started this was unfair. China responded it would fight at any cost. The cost on Wall Street? Nearly 2.5%. On Friday, the Dow took a nearly 800-point dive, ending the day with a loss of 572 points. American farmers are angry now that they're facing devastating blows to their business thanks to the Chinese tariffs that came in response to Trump's attempts at punishing China. And they had voted for him. Republicans need those rural votes to keep themselves and Trump in power. But China is still offering carrots even while threatening with sticks. Chinese President Xi Jinping 
has again promised to open the Chinese auto market to cars from other countries, including the U.S. China says it and the U.S. should be negotiating, not engaging in a trade war. That was just what the American stock market wanted to hear, and Tuesday it again recovered most of what it had lost. And as if there weren't enough going on, the time creeps closer for talks between Kim Jong-un and South Korea and Kim Jong-un and Donald Trump. Back-channel communications have already been underway for the U.S. talks with Kim through the CIA and Trump's CIA director, Mike Pompeo. It would appear to be going well, this groundwork, because North Korea has now confirmed to the White House that it is willing to talk about denuclearization. Still no exact time or date has been set for that Kim-Trump meeting. Trump says late May or early June. The Congressional Budget Office is now predicting growing government debt and deficits during and after the Trump administration, mostly because of the recent tax cuts that are permanent and bigger for the wealthy. The CBO report says our national debt will rise from this year's $16 trillion to about $29 trillion by the year 2028. That's a near doubling of the debt over the next 10 years. And that bothers Salon.com's Bob Seska. Thank you, Buzz. If any of your Trump-supporting friends or relatives get their news from FoxNews.com, they won't know anything about this story because Fox News isn't covering it. So perhaps forwarding this particular episode of Buzz Burbank News and Comment might help keep them updated on an issue they care deeply about. After all, for eight years, all they did was scream about how Barack Obama was driving up the deficit and bankrupting America. They were wrong, of course. Nevertheless, they still considered high deficits to be a serious crisis facing the country. We'll circle back to Obama in a minute. But first, the following news from the Congressional Budget Office broke Monday morning. Quote, a new budget analysis says the combined effects of President Donald Trump's tax cuts and last month's budget-busting spending bill will send the government's budget deficit toward the $1 trillion mark. Unquote. So, as predicted... We're looking at close to trillion-dollar deficits for the foreseeable future thanks to the first businessman president. You know, because Trump is so excellent at money management. Shocker that a guy who couldn't make money with a casino is, in reality, terrible with money. Full disclosure, I'm not entirely opposed to spending on credit if the drivers of the deficit stimulate economic stability and growth. What I'm opposed to are the Republicans who only hate deficits when a black Democrat is president, while conversely embracing deficits or ignoring them when an orange reality show goofus is president following eight years in which they did nothing but crap their cages about government spending. What exactly was Obama's actual impact on the deficit? In Obama's first year, the deficit spiked to $1.4 trillion, its highest level so far. Why? It turns out the spending for 2009 was authorized and signed into law in October 2008 by none other than George W. Bush, not by Obama, who hadn't won the election yet. By the way, the Congressional Budget Office noted that President Obama inherited $1.2 trillion of the total $1.4 trillion deficit for 2009. Consequently, as a side effect of the Great Recession, the deficit spiked. In the subsequent eight years, however, the deficit steadily dropped. By the time of Obama's second inaugural address, the deficit had been cut in half. By the end of his second term, the deficit was close to a trillion dollars lower than it was at the end of 2009. And yet the Republicans lied to their voters, telling their people that Obama doubled the deficit in his first term. I'll never forget Mitt Romney's false accusation during the first presidential debate in Denver. Quote, the president said he'd cut the deficit in half. Unfortunately, he doubled it. Unquote. Incidentally, Romney repeated that claim several times, eliminating the possibility that he misspoke. He, in fact, lied. By the time Romney spoke those words, the deficit had already improved by nearly $400 billion. The CBO also noted on Monday that it was the omnibus spending bill signed by Trump a week or two ago, as well as the tax cut bill signed over the holidays, that are collectively giving us all new trillion-dollar deficits. It's not some sort of poison pill Obama implanted in the system. It's not budget shenanigans by the Democrats. The Republicans control both branches of government. This is on them. They own the trillion-dollar deficits now. And again, I'm not sure they care. 
Indeed, it's all part of the starve the beast gambit in which the Republicans rack up enormous deficits. Then when Democrats take back a little power in Washington, the Republicans suddenly claim poverty, shrieking about how we need to cut the hell out of Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, ACA subsidies, and any other Democratic spending priority. Most recently, they pulled this starve the beast stunt during the Bush years, racking up unprecedented spending so that when Obama took office with a Dem Congress... The GOP declared in unison that the sky was falling, socialism was taking over, and the bank vaults were empty. Consequently, the Republicans opposed the stimulus bill, which, by the way, pulled us out of the recession. And they obviously opposed the Affordable Care Act, even though the CBO reported that the ACA was deficit neutral. All told, the Republicans have their hearts set on slashing so-called entitlements, and massive deficits will give them the pretext to do exactly that. So if the GOP miraculously retains its majorities in Congress, you can expect Medicare and Social Security on the chopping block. If the Dems win majorities in Congress, Trump and the congressional GOP will pull their little we're broke stunt, handcuffing any and all Dem programs. Make no mistake, the Republicans secretly love deficits, while the Democrats appear to be the only hawks left in the room. Don't let your Fox News viewing pals tell you anything differently. Numbers don't lie, but the Trumpers do. I'm Bob Seska for Buzz Burbank News and Comment. Thanks, Bob. Get more of him at Salon.com and Tuesdays and Thursdays on The Bob Seska Show at RealmNetwork.com. Join me with him there every Tuesday. Troops to the border, Paul Ryan won't be around for the blue wave, and Americans just say no to guns after this. Just a quick reminder here to do your online shopping by using and bookmarking the Amazon link at buzzburbank.com. This production gets a small commission from Amazon when you do, so it's very helpful to shop through that link for home, school, church, or office. Just bookmark it. If you'd prefer not to use my Amazon link for any reason, please support this free newscast through the PayPal donate button just beneath the Amazon button at buzzburbank.com. And thank you. With a big blue wave that they can already see headed for shore, Republicans are not standing around with their hands in their pockets. The Republican Party has its 2018 strategy to drive a wedge between moderate voters and those who will be voting Democrat to impeach Trump. Republicans plan to motivate their base by warning they need to cancel out every Democratic vote because every Democratic vote, they say, is a vote to impeach their cultural hero. A new Ted Cruz re-election commercial features a fake news anchor saying Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer announced the impeachment trial of President Trump. A Republican fundraising letter from scandal-tainted Oliver North warns donors that an attempted government coup is in the works at the hands of, quote, liberal Democrats, left-wing media, and deep state bureaucrats. Oliver North is at it again. A longtime conservative Christian group sent out a fundraising letter calling this year's vote the impeachment election with an exclamation point. It's a strategy that could work with Trump supporters who were otherwise not motivated to vote this November in the congressional midterms. It's also a strategy that could fail. Some Republicans think it's more important to run on those tax cuts, low unemployment, and peace through strength with North Korea, and that it's a mistake to wave a bloody flag like impeachment. Still, Republican leaders are hoping that even if they cannot stop the blue wave, they can minimize the damage using the fear of impeachment among Trump supporters. Polls show most voters do not support impeachment at this time, but if Trump fires Bob Mueller, the numbers go to 50-50. Democratic candidates are mostly avoiding talking about impeachment so far, but it's definitely on their minds. Whatever happens in and after the midterms, it won't much involve Paul Ryan. The man third in line for the presidency is out of here. The Republican House Speaker has decided not to run for re-election, making it even harder for Republicans to hold back a blue wave. They have no Paul Ryan, author of the tax cut, to lead them. For one thing, it could lead to even more Republican exits than we've already witnessed in this past year. But Ryan says he's leaving the House in good hands and that he needs to spend more time with his teenagers and his wife. He has achieved one of his lifelong dreams to overhaul our federal tax laws. All that's left for him now is dealing with Trump and everything that comes with that. Ryan is leaving, however, without having succeeded in his other lifelong dream, 
to eliminate the deficit discussed moments ago by Bob Seska. Ryan is likely to be succeeded in his role as Speaker by either Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy of California or Majority Whip Steve Scalise of Louisiana, either of whom may only serve a few impotent months if that blue wave, in fact, comes to shore. The last Republican Speaker, who left less than three years ago, is now in the marijuana business. As a pot lobbyist, John Boehner wants the federal government to reschedule cannabis for research to help veterans, he says, and to reverse the opioid epidemic. John Boehner tweeted that his thinking on cannabis has evolved. A lot of us remember when ours did. You have to wonder if sales are up for poster boards and big felt-tip markers. A new study by the Kaiser Family Foundation shows that one in five Americans have taken part in a protest, a march, or attended a political rally since 2016, and one in five of those who did had never done such a thing before. Tens of millions of Americans have joined marches and protests and rallies over the past couple of years, usually for or against Trump. Mostly against. Only 30% of those activists showed up for Trump, while 70% showed up to protest him or his policies or some issue related to him. And the Kaiser Foundation believes this will have an impact on the upcoming elections, with a third of the activists saying they will volunteer for or get a job with a congressional campaign. The study shows the demographics of activism have changed since the fabled protests of the Vietnam War era. Today's activists are older, wealthier, and better educated than those of the late 60s and early 70s. Quoting a 69-year-old women's marcher, I never thought I was an activist until now. She's now marched for gun control as well. 83% of the marchers say they plan to vote in the midterms. More young Democrats are planning to vote this fall than our young Republicans. The real enthusiasm so far is blue, not red. Quoting a Georgetown history professor, this confirms there is a resistance and that a lot of people want to be associated with it. Republican Congressman Ralph Norman said, I'm not going to be a Gabby Giffords. And with those words to a town hall meeting in his district in South Carolina, the congressman drew a gun. Brandishing his loaded 38 caliber, he said, I don't mind dying, but whoever shoots me better shoot well or I'm shooting back. Guns don't shoot people, he said, adding the obligatory, people shoot guns. This South Carolina representative in Washington later told CNN that mental health and, in his words, the lack of morality are the driving forces behind the epidemic of gun violence. Guns, he said, are not the problem. Local Democrats have filed a complaint with the state's law enforcement division claiming that Congressman Norman broke the law by brandishing his weapon without an eminent threat. In South Carolina, that's a felony punishable by up to five years in prison. Yet another Florida county has said no to arming its public school teachers with guns. This time, it's the state's biggest school district. The Broward County School Board has turned down its share of $67 million in state funding for screening, training, and arming teachers. This would mean more guns, said one board member. The purchase of more guns, the legalization of more guns, and more guns brought into schools, she said. But Broward County would still like that money. Its school board is asking the state to let it spend its share of that money on hiring more police officers instead of arming teachers. Quoting another board member, to leave $67 million on the table is just a travesty. We should definitely launch a campaign to persuade the governor to give us the money to keep our children safe in other ways. The Second Amendment does not cover an AR-15. That's the ruling of a federal judge who's upheld Massachusetts' ban on military-style rapid-fire assault weapons. That state's law also includes copycats, duplicates of the assault rifles that were banned in Massachusetts back in 1998. The judge ruled that unless Congress changes the law, states are free to ban these weapons and large-capacity ammo magazines. And with that, the Chicago suburb of Deerfield, Illinois, voted this week to ban the manufacture, sale, and possession of assault weapons and large-capacity magazines within its city limits. 
The ordinance bans anything that holds more than 10 rounds of ammunition, as well as shotguns with revolving cylinders. It bans AR-15s, AK-47s, and Uzis. It bans conversion kits that turn ordinary guns into assault weapons. The only exemptions are antiques that won't fire and Olympic target practice rifles. The growing gun control movement is now following the money and going after it. Bank of America is no longer lending money to gun makers that produce military-inspired firearms for civilian use, including the top seller, the AR-15, which has also been used in multiple recent mass shootings. Back in March, Citigroup started making its clients end the sale of guns to anyone under 21 and anyone who has not passed their background check. Citigroup also no longer does business with clients who use its resources to sell bump stocks and high-capacity magazines. And investment company BlackRock has announced it will no longer sell shares in gun makers or big gun retailers. Over the past couple of weeks, Donald Trump has made two public appearances. You likely saw a clip from one of those appearances in which Trump tosses his prepared speech into the air and decides to freestyle instead. Tossing that piece of paper into the air makes Trump a hero to his base, even when it means his off-the-cuff remarks include at least two dozen falsehoods and inaccuracies. Trump was in West Virginia to supposedly talk about tax reform. Instead, he launched a tirade on voter fraud, Democrats, international trade, and a lot on immigration. Here's a partial rundown of the greatest falsehoods. Referring to a caravan of Central American migrants that's moving through Mexico, mostly toward the U.S., Trump told his audience that in those caravans, quote, women are being raped at levels nobody has ever seen before. Trump's use of superlative phrases like that nobody has ever seen before is one of his tells. Neither the New York Times nor the Washington Post were able to find any reports of rape in those caravans. And those caravans are being watched very closely. A BuzzFeed reporter traveling with the caravan for the past two weeks tweets that he has seen no evidence of rape and has heard no rumors about sexual abuse. The only violence the caravan has encountered has come from smugglers and drug cartels encountered along the way. Trump blamed Democrats for immigration's catch-and-release policy, but that policy's been used under presidents from both parties in the past, and it's been used in the Trump administration as well. Trump told the crowd, We started building our wall. We've already started. You saw the pictures yesterday. Well... The pictures Trump was referring to, the ones he had tweeted the day before, were photos of a project started in 2009, long before Trump was even a candidate. Trump claimed the man behind the New York truck attack last year, quote, brought a lot of people with him. They say 22 people. That's false. The attacker had a green card. Outside of his wife and children, he brought no other family members with him because the law already said he couldn't as a green card holder. In his speech, Trump claimed, quote, the mother and the father and the grandmother and the cousins and the brothers and the sisters and the aunts and the uncles. False, 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 and false. On the new trade deal with South Korea, Trump said, we were in a deal that was a horror show. It was going to produce 200,000 jobs, and it did for them. That, added Trump, was a Hillary Clinton special. That's false. Hillary Clinton had nothing to do with the agreement struck by the George W. Bush administration that was later tweaked by President Obama. On voter fraud, Trump claimed, in many places like California, the same person votes many times. They always like to say, oh, that's a conspiracy theory. Not a conspiracy theory, folks. Millions and millions of people. And it's very hard because the state guards their records. All of that's false. There have been no credible reports of widespread fraudulent voting in any of our 50 states. The voter fraud rate in the U.S. is under 0.0003%. In his one mention of tax reform, Trump claimed, quote, for 40 years they couldn't pass anything and they didn't know why. That's false. Tax cuts were passed under Presidents Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, and Barack Obama. This is what the Democrats are doing to you, insisted Trump to his base. A few of those in attendance at the most recent Trump rallies thanked the president for their tax cut. Of the four states who've been asked by Trump to have National Guard troops run to the border to block those caravans of Central American migrants, 
Only a couple of states are doing so enthusiastically. Texas and Arizona appear to be in a showdown over who can send the most troops to help Trump reach his goal of 4,000, one-upping each other over the past few days as each adds hundreds more troops. New Mexico only sending about 400 troops so far, although it too is a red state. California, blue, is sending 400 troops, insisting they not be used for immigration enforcement, but saying it's okay if they're used for drug enforcement. The number of deployed guard troops is still not anywhere near the number authorized by the defense secretary. South Carolina, to try to help, has now offered its troops, even though it's nowhere near the southern border. The number of people trying to cross the Mexican border with the U.S., has actually decreased sharply in recent years. Still, the troops are part of a bigger Trump administration mission. Back in D.C., Attorney General Jeff Sessions has ordered a zero-tolerance policy on immigrants crossing the border illegally, and he's ordered U.S. attorneys to prioritize those prosecutions. Of the caravan of Hondurans and others headed here now, Mexico has already returned hundreds of them to their home countries. Attorney General Jeff Sessions is also being sued by the city of San Francisco, which claims he has stripped civil rights from entire segments of the population, including people with disabilities, people of color, the poor, young people, and immigrants. But there's also division inside California. Towns have been ordered to stop supporting the federal deportation effort, but... They're also being pressured by Washington to comply with federal orders, so some of those California towns are revolting against the state's policy of not cooperating with Trump's anti-immigration efforts. A new Politico poll shows that fewer than half of Americans favor sending troops to the border, although more do support it than oppose it. The first odd news about Trump's EPA administrator, Scott Pruitt, came on this exact date one year ago today. The Washington Post reported that while cutting the budget for a clean environment, Pruitt was adding a security team to protect him 24-7. That security team has since expanded by 20 members and now includes a bulletproof car. Previous EPA directors had only security escorts when going to and from work. A Trump transition official said this round-the-clock security detail was, quote, prudent given activities by the left to foment hatred and reported hostility within the agency. Five quiet months went by until the Post reported in September that Pruitt's EPA had entered a contract for $25,000 to build a soundproof booth in Pruitt's office. In October, we learned the EPA's inspector general had launched an investigation into Pruitt's apparent misuse of both private and military air transportation, mostly for trips back to his home state of Oklahoma. The inspector general is also looking into the twenty-five grand for that soundproof booth. It was mid-December when the Post reported that Pruitt and seven of his aides and several of his staff members had just returned from four days in Morocco to sell the idea of importing liquid natural gas. That's interesting since the EPA plays no role in the oversight of America's natural gas exports. That's the stuff of the Energy Department and the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, not the EPA. And just days later, the Associated Press reported that Pruitt had used government resources to have his office swept for bugs, hidden microphones and that he'd spent 9,000 taxpayer dollars to have biometric fingerprint locks installed on his office doors and a bulletproof desk for the receptionist who sits in front of his door. The EPA's headquarters are already in a secured building, metal detectors, armed guards, all bags get x-rayed. An EPA spokeswoman said of this unprecedented extra security, it was because of an unprecedented amount of threats against him. She also scolded the Associated Press for trying to, quote, trivialize security, end quote. By February of this year, Vox.com was reporting that Pruitt was still flying first class on the taxpayer's dime. The EPA says he does this for security, to avoid unpleasant remarks from displeased people. Someone once shouted something at Pruitt in an airport, says Pruitt's office apparently presuming a shouter wouldn't be seated in first class. First class is precisely where Pruitt felt safer. 
And then just over a week ago, the Washington Post reported that Pruitt had also considered leasing a private jet on a month-to-month basis, but he found that would be too expensive. So Pruitt stuck to first-class commercial, and then he asked the White House if his favorite aides could get big raises. The White House personnel office said no. So according to reporting by The Atlantic, Pruitt went around the White House and used some money from the Clean Water Act to cover those fat raises. At least one of the raises was more than people make in a year as the median income level. The Clean Water Act says the EPA director can hire up to 30 people without approval from either Congress or the White House, but it's supposed to pay to quickly hire scientists and experts to help out in a water crisis. Instead, it went to Pruitt's favorite aides, including his cronies from Oklahoma. Pruitt now says the raises were issued without his approval and have since been revoked. That's since been proven false. Also in the past week, we've learned through the New York Times that Pruitt asked his security detail to use red lights and sirens for non-emergency trips through traffic snarl D.C. Those who said no include at least five EPA officials who have since been demoted, reassigned, or they have asked to be reassigned. One of them was put on leave without pay for questioning the commands of the EPA chief. The Independent reported this week that Housing Secretary Ben Carson is not the only cabinet member with a taste for fine furniture. That Scott Pruitt's furniture spending has been unusually large, as has been his travel budget. Those departing say morale at the agency is at an all-time low after a string of resignations and departures. And then there's the recent business about Pruitt's $50 a night landlord tied to a lobbying firm that Pruitt claimed had no business before the EPA. That was false. In exclusive reporting by the Daily Beast, that lobbyist firm represents a natural gas company, a major airplane company, and another big manufacturer that do have business currently with the EPA. Despite the growing pressure to fire Scott Pruitt, Trump has so far stood by his man, the man who's carrying out his orders to disarm the EPA and to free the hands of the fossil fuel industries. Trump told reporters that Pruitt is courageous and a good man who's done a terrific job, but, said Trump, I'll take a look at it. In truth, Trump had already seen, he already knew. He had seen the Fox News interview that eviscerated Pruitt for his spending, The New York Times says even Pruitt's top aides are now thinking about their next jobs. In the meantime, Scott Pruitt still works for Donald Trump. I could kill someone on Fifth Avenue and my supporters would still vote for me. That was Trump less than a month after he took office in early 2017. On April 7th of this year, a man died in a fire at Trump Tower on a floor that had no sprinkler system. Trump Tower is located on New York's Fifth Avenue. It was built in 1979, five years after the release of the movie Towering Inferno. With one of his residents dead, Trump tweeted, his is a well-built building, and he thanked the firefighters for putting out the fire. Four firefighters were injured battling the blaze. Trump has a penthouse apartment on the 58th floor of that building. The headquarters of the Trump Organization are on the 26th. Neither Trump nor his family were in the building at the time of the fire. It isn't known if there are sprinklers on Trump's floors. The dead man, an artist who was looking to sell his apartment, lived on the 50th floor where there are no sprinklers. This is the second fire at Trump Tower this year. The first in January injured two people, including a firefighter. Residents were and are worried since many of them were never told to evacuate during Saturday's fire. Quoting one woman, I called my oldest son and said goodbye because, she says, the way it looked, everything falling out of the window, it reminded me of 9-11. It's Newton's third law. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. This week, the feds shut down Backpage.com, a website of classified ads, including those of sex workers. It's also a place to pimp out minors for prostitution, which is what the feds had in mind when they seized that website and cut it off. The feds also raided the Arizona homes of the two men who founded the website, Backpage.com. And this would all seem like good news for everyone. It isn't. The Guardian talked with sex workers in Chicago who say they now 
fear for their lives that hooking on the streets is not nearly as safe as hooking online. The women are sending photos of their tattoos to each other to make their dead bodies easier to identify. Others are writing their own eulogies. Girls are going back to the streets and they are going to die and nobody cares, says a 35-year-old mother of two who sells her body to feed herself and her kids. Prostitution, now much less available online, is now being pushed even further underground. Without Backpage, the sex workers say they now face more abuse from Johns, pimps, and police. With Backpage, sex workers could run quick background checks on their clients, and they did. They could set ground rules, and they did. They even had a means to detect and report sex traffickers, and they did. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. It's Newton's third law. Sperm in space. Beware of Debbie and Kirk. And hey, that animal's not supposed to be there. Up next. If you're ready to go wireless, then get the Heller Bluetooth earbuds from tweakedaudio.com. The Hellers are wireless to hook you up with your favorite songs, phone calls, and podcasts like this one. And the Hellers stay in your ears with five hours of use and a hundred hours of standby time between USB charges. The Heller has a built-in mic, a storage pouch, and comfortable gels in three sizes. Tweaked Audio's wired earbuds come in a range of colors, and you can even get buds in sets of two or three. And Tweaked Audio earbuds just sound better. You certainly cannot beat the prices for this level of quality, and that's guaranteed. The shopping is free anywhere on the planet, and you can get an extra one-third off their already great prices if you check out with the code BBNC at tweakedaudio.com. Thank you for supporting this news through tweakedaudio.com, my other sponsors, and through the donate button at buzzburbank.com. Got your naloxone handy? Naloxone is a life-saving drug for those who've overdosed on opioids from heroin to Vicodin and synthetic opioids like fentanyl. It quickly restores normal breathing in a victim. It's most often sold under the name Narcan. Cops and EMTs carry it already, and so do the loved ones of many addicts. And now the U.S. Surgeon General wants more of the rest of us to carry it wherever we go and to know how to use it since the nation's overdose deaths have nearly doubled in the past six years. The Surgeon General says this is no different than knowing first aid, CPR, or the Heimlich maneuver. Narcan and instructions for using it are available at nearly all pharmacies without a prescription. Illinois officials have reported at least three deaths in the past month from the use of synthetic marijuana, which ain't nothing like the real thing. Synthetic cannabinoids are actually chemicals sprayed on dried, shredded plant material so they can be smoked. It's also available in liquids for vaping. The leading brand is K2, but there are many other brands as well. Unfortunately, these products designed to mimic weed using slightly altered chemicals to skirt the law can also cause severe internal bleeding and they can be deadly. The patient presents with bloody gums or blood in the urine or stool and they're coughing up or vomiting blood. If any of those things happen, the next stop is the emergency room. The names run from Alberto to William in an alphabetical list of 14 names, including Debbie and Kirk and Patty. They are the names for the 2018 tropical storms over the season that begins in June and runs through November. Colorado State University forecasters predict a busier-than-usual season this year, including at least seven hurricanes, three of them major. That's actually a quieter forecast than the 2017 version, but it's still above average. Colorado State will update its forecast the day before the 2018 hurricane season begins. Sperm in space. NASA has shot samples of both bovine and human semen into space to see if it's motile enough in weightlessness to someday impregnate in space. Motility is key to fertilizing, and the theory is that weightlessness will increase motility the way it also allows human cells to regenerate faster up there than they do down here. In previous experiments, mice sperm remained viable in space after nine months. NASA insists none of its astronauts have ever attempted copulating in space, despite an ongoing Internet argument that they have. 
The phrase Trans-Alaska took on a different meaning last week. A majority of the voters in Anchorage there decided there should be no rules about transgender people using a restroom. Proposition 1 repeals a city ordinance that restricted the use of public but private facilities to those with a birth certificate gender that matched the one on the door. A Christian group spent $128,000 trying to get voters to keep the ordinance. But the Human Rights Campaign, the ACLU, and Planned Parenthood spent over a million dollars to get voters to repeal the ordinance. 53% of the voters chose to repeal the Anchorage restroom law. People progress even when government doesn't. Passages. It was already unofficially the year of the woman, the Me Too movement, the Women's March, the record number of women running for public office, and then this. She's a helicopter pilot shot down in Iraq and now a veteran of the United States Army. She's a Democratic senator representing Illinois and Washington, D.C., serving on the Veterans Affairs Committee. And now she's also a mom for the second time. In fact, she is the first sitting senator to give birth while in office. Tammy Duckworth is, in fact, the first sitting senator to give birth while in office. Over in the House, there have been nine, but Duckworth is the first senator to come to term while serving a term. She says it's given her a new perspective on how parenthood is an economic issue for women and men. Duckworth gave birth to a girl whom she has named after a great aunt. It now officially is the year of the woman. Passings. Yvonne Staples has died at the age of 80. She was the manager and vocalist for the Staples Singers, whose 1970s hits included I'll Take You There, Respect Yourself, and If You're Ready, Come Go With Me. The Staples Singers were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1999. They won a Lifetime Achievement Grammy in 2005. At age 78, Mavis Staples is now the only surviving sister and is currently touring to promote her latest album after launching a solo career in the 80s. And rest in peace, Chuck McCann. Today's young senior citizens remember McCann as a kids' TV host in New York in the 1960s. He had his own show and also turned up on the nationally broadcast Captain Kangaroo. But McCann was also a great comic and character actor throughout his lifetime. The slightly younger remember him as a hilarious movie and TV actor in films like The Projectionist and Robin Hood, Men in Tights. He had recurring roles on Knott's Landing, Boston Legal, Bonanza, The Bob Newhart Show, Columbo, Kojak, Little House on the Prairie, Starsky and Hutch, The Rockford Files, One Day at a Time, St. Elsewhere, Different Strokes, and Sabrina the Teenage Witch. McCann also made commercials in the 70s and 80s. He was the high guy guy on the other side of the medicine cabinet for right guard deodorant. Or you heard him as the cuckoo bird for Cocoa Puffs or on cartoons including DuckTales, Garfield, Fantastic Four, and Powerpuff Girls. In other words, Chuck McCann is gone at the age of 83, but he'll still be around making people laugh. Well, Mr. and Mrs. Krasinski have a hit on their hands. John Krasinski of The Office fame and his equally famous wife, Emily Blunt, star in this week's top movie, a horror pick called A Quiet Place. It opened with a $50 million take in the U.S. and Canada. Ready Player One dropped to second place, but with an additional $25 million and a milestone of $300 million worldwide in just two weeks of release. Blockers was third at over $21 million. For previews, theaters, showtimes, and tickets, please get them through my Fandango link at buzzburbank.com. Let's call this segment Animals Where They're Not Supposed to Be. These are not your usual alligator-in-a-Florida-swimming-pool type stories. Emus are not native to Massachusetts, and yet Animal Control was out in Lakeville looking for emus. A pair of them had escaped from their owners who say a wild animal was on their property, panicking the emus and their chickens. One emu was found on a road, the other on a railroad track, neither of which would have taken them to where they are supposed to be. Camels are not native to Louisiana, and yet one lives there, employed each Christmas in the town's live nativity scene. The owner says the camel escaped, looking for the graham cracker treats it sometimes gets from a neighbor. After three escapes, all in one day, the camel owners say they have taken steps to prevent another. Goats are not supposed to be on top of buildings, but sometimes they manage to get there. 
Aussies were gobsmacked when they saw a goat on the roof of a nice suburban home outside Perth. The goat eventually got down on its own. No one seems to know where it came from or where it was going, just that it's not supposed to be there. There are not supposed to be African serval cats in Ontario, and yet police are warning residents to avoid it if they see it. Cassie, as her owner calls her, escaped last Thursday in Tiny Township. But police say if they catch the big cat, they're taking it to a sanctuary, not back to its owner. Because African serval cats are not supposed to be in Ontario. And two men have been arrested at New York's Kennedy Airport after attempting to smuggle into the U.S. more than two dozen live finches. The smugglers had hidden the little birds inside big hair curlers and stuffed them into their socks. Finches from Guyana are coveted in this country because of their singing voices. People enter them in bird singing contests. In other news, there are bird singing contests with prizes up to $5,000. The smugglers now face up to 20 years in prison because birds don't belong in hair curlers. Hot peppers are not for everyone, but a 34-year-old man showed up at a hot pepper eating contest in Cooperstown, New York, determined to win. And then he took on the dreaded, and then he took on the dreaded Carolina Reaper. For the uninitiated, it's the hottest pepper on the planet. You thought it was the habanero at a half million scovels. But the California Reaper leaves the habanero in the dust with more than two million scovels. Usually it just feels like a hot coal in your mouth as you choke and tears pour from your eyes from a pain that never seems to subside and you wish you could remove your tongue. But this guy also got a headache, the dreaded thunderclap headache. First came the dry heaves that are not that unusual, but then came a powerful headache rolling like thunder through his head and neck, which continued for days. So he saw a doctor. The doctor found constricted arteries, cerebral vasoconstriction syndrome. The good news, it's both temporary and reversible. It's also preventable. Don't eat the Carolina Reaper. Fear the Reaper. Over at the Sonic in Gulfport, Mississippi, the sign asks customers not to smoke weed at the drive through window. Attention, shouts the sign. If you are smoking weed in the drive through you will not be served. Please show some common courtesy and air out before pulling up to order. The manager put up the sign last month after one drive through customer blew marijuana smoke into the face of an employee who was a minor. The manager says the sign seems to be working, and it's a great conversation starter. Would you like fries with that? The changeable sign outside of Chick-fil-A in Winter Springs, Florida read, Tanner needs a prom date. Details inside. 17-year-old Tanner Waters works at the fast food joint, and he's a student at Winter Springs High School, where the prom's coming up. With the approval of his manager, employees kept Tanner's photo available at the register in case a prospect should show up outside of his working hours. I'm a great person, says Tanner, who promises you'll have a great time with me. But he also says the sign, quote, takes all the work out of finding a date. Quoting Tanner, you get free dinner. Someone's buying us dinner. Tanner's trying to get a date with as little effort or expense as possible. He has just another week or so to land a date with some lucky, lucky girl. As 23-year-old Levi Bliss prepared to propose to 22-year-old Allison Barron, he had a plan. Levi got members of Allison's family to hold up a giant sign reading, Marry Me? And in the magical moment when he did pop the question, the sign appeared just as planned. And so did the future bride's father who had a plan of his own. He popped out, holding a big sign that said, Say No. The now-engaged couple say they both laughed immediately because this was the kind of dad joke they had come to expect from her father. Everyone else was shocked, of course, but eventually everyone else also found it funny. Except the groom's mom. And so it begins. Finally, let's put it this way. The final moments of a driving test at the DMV in Waterbury, Connecticut, were captured on video 
that was taken inside the DMV office. A 46-year-old woman's driving test did not end well. The Connecticut State Police say she accidentally hit the gas instead of the brake while backing into a parking space immediately in front of the DMV storefront. Neither she nor her adjudicator were injured, but two people indoors got minor injuries, one of them taken to a hospital. The woman has now been cited for unsafe backing. We presume she didn't pass the test, although that actually hasn't been reported. What is reported is that the DMV continued operating at its usual pace. Next, I'm Buzz Burbank. Thanks for listening and supporting my sponsors at buzzburbank.com. I'll be back next Thursday with another Buzz Burbank news and comment. The preceding presentation was brought to you by The Realm Network.